Welcome to the podcast, Crime Salad, where we talk true crime. I'm your host, Ashley, and with me always is my husband and partner in crime, Ricky. The purpose of this podcast is to honor the victims through ethical storytelling in the hopes of preventing future tragedies. We want our stories to resonate and educate others in hopes that some of these similar cases with identifiable patterns can be prevented. Now, before we jump in, please let us warn you that this is a true crime podcast. The details of this episode may be triggering to some listeners. Listener discretion advised. According to Brian Walsh, the last time he saw his wife, Anna... A 39-year-old Serbian-born beauty was during the early morning hours of New Year's Day 2023. The night before, they celebrated the new incoming year with family and friends. And the next day, citing a last-minute work emergency, Anna had scheduled a rideshare at 4.30 in the morning to pick her up for her flight to her job in Washington, D.C., Originally, Anna wasn't scheduled to return to work until January 3rd. That was seemingly the last time Anna left her suburban home in Cohasset, Massachusetts, which she shared with her husband, Brian Walsh, and her three young sons, aged two to four years old. To note, at the time of her disappearance, Brian's mother had been staying with them while she recovered from her short illness. She corroborated Brian's story, and according to newspaper reports at the time, she was the last person to see Anna leave. Now, Anna had a townhouse in Washington, D.C., and she worked there during the week Monday through Friday. And on Friday afternoons, she would return home for the weekend to spend time with her husband and boys. While Anna was at work out of state, her husband, for reasons we will get into a little later in this episode, was the stay-at-home parent for the three boys. Usually, Anna would call the boys each night and speak with them about their day over FaceTime. However, since leaving on January 1st, Anna hadn't reached out and her phone was going directly to voicemail. Now, here's where we have some conflicting reports. According to Brian, he called Anna's work Tishman Spire, a commercial realty firm where Anna worked as an executive account real estate manager to inquire if he could speak with Anna. When he discovered that she hadn't been to work, he allegedly called the Cohasset Police Department and reported her missing. Except her work had already reported her missing, and they sent an officer to Brian's home to conduct a welfare check on Anna. This was a total coincidence because Brian finally got around to finally reporting the fact that neither he nor his children had heard from their mother. Anna Welsh was born in Belgrade, Serbia in 1983. She attended the University of Belgrade and received her Bachelor of Arts degree in French. In addition to her native tongue, Anna was also fluent in Spanish, French, and English. Anna moved to the United States in 2005, where she eventually held dual citizenship. She obtained a master's degree in tourism and hospitality from the prestigious Cornell University, which is where she met Brian. Anna began her career in the hospitality industry, eventually making a name for herself in real estate management. Anna was highly successful in both residential and commercial real estate. 
In the year before Anna's disappearance, Anna sold over $2 million in personal real estate, including the family's home, which sold in March of 2022. At the time of her disappearance, she allegedly still had over $4 million in rental property, which she legally holds as sole and separate property. Anna and the boys were living in a rental home at the time of her disappearance in Cohasset, Massachusetts, due to some legal issues that Brian was dealing with at the time. Anna kept bedrooms for each of her young children at her Washington, D.C. townhouse and had plans to move the boys there once she had clarity on Brian's pending legal issues. So police began their investigation by confirming that Anna had a flight scheduled for January 3rd from Logan International Airport heading to Washington, D.C. They couldn't find any evidence that she had used a rideshare service or had booked an earlier flight to D.C. Her work also wasn't aware of any emergency that would require her to come back earlier than originally planned after her scheduled holiday leave. Now, investigators had to dig deep to see if there had maybe been a Gone Girl situation or if Anna had met with foul play. Gone Girl refers to the psychological thriller written by Gillian Flynn in 2012 and subsequently turned into a movie starring Ben Affleck. The term Gone Girl is often used when someone had disappeared under mysterious circumstances. In the book and movie adaptation, the main character, Amy Dune, had intentionally disappeared, hoping to cast doubt on her husband's innocence. And Brian was hoping that Anna's disappearance would appear voluntary and calculated. He painted a picture of a wife who no longer wanted to stand by her man. Police immediately began an extensive two-day search for Anna, searching and draining the pool on the property, as well as bringing canines for a ground search in the wooded areas surrounding her home. Police were digging deep and were alarmed that there was no trace of Anna Welsh anywhere. As they were conducting searches, Brian was cooperating as best as he could considering everything he was sharing was a blatant lie. According to a probable cause affidavit filed in this case, Brian told investigators that he got up around 7 a.m. on the morning that Anna disappeared and made the boys breakfast. Later that day, a babysitter arrived at the home. Brian left to run a few errands at about 3 o'clock p.m. He went to the grocery store and then he came back home. And then he left again at 4 o'clock p.m. to see his mother, who had been staying with him that week and lived over an hour away in a place called Swampscott. Brian told investigators that one of his children had taken and hidden his phone so all of his activities that day couldn't be confirmed by cell phone data. And he explained that despite knowing where his mother lived for over a decade, without the use of his phone's GPS, he had traveled in the wrong direction and he got lost. That meant that a commute that normally would have taken him 60 to 70 minutes ended up taking him over 90 minutes. He further lied when he told investigators that within 15 minutes of taking his mother back to her condo, he left again to run errands for her. He told them he went to Whole Foods and CVS to get groceries and cleaning wipes. He estimated he returned back to Cohasset from his mother's home at about 8 o'clock p.m. He stated the next day he found his phone hidden by one of his boys under a pillow on the couch. Huge eye roll. How convenient. On Monday, January 2nd, he took one of his sons to a pressed juice store for a chocolate shake. This would turn out to be the only true fact he shared with authorities. When investigators set out to confirm Brian's alibi, 
they discovered something suspicious. There was no footage or proof that he had been to Whole Foods or the CVS the day prior. However, they were able to place him at the Home Depot in Rockland, Massachusetts on January 2nd. So Brian, why lie about that? And what was he hiding about going to Home Depot? So caught on the Home Depot surveillance video, Brian can be seen wearing a black surgical mask and blue surgical gloves and making a large cash purchase of over $450 for tarps, shovels, a hacksaw, and cleaning supplies. So yeah, he forgot to mention this huge, suspicious cash purchase. And they also discovered that Brian wasn't legally allowed to go to any of these places due to the fact that he was on house arrest and had to check in weekly with the probation officer. Each week, his probation officer needed to be notified of the times and places he expected to go during the week and a reason and a purpose for each location. Then the probation officer would approve that week's schedule. The week of January 1st, Brian was only allowed to take his boys to and from school and other pre-approved errands around their schedules and needs. Police were very clear to Brian that he would naturally be considered their first suspect in Anna's disappearance. As a result, they expected his complete and full cooperation so they could clear him. Instead, he misled them and provided untruthful statements resulting in a delay in the search for Anna. Because of this intentional false alibi, they arrested Brian on January 8, 2023, and charged him with misleading the police in the investigation into Anna's disappearance. Now, 10 days later, they arrested Brian a second time and charged him with murder and disinterring a body without authorization, meaning to remove a body from its original burial site. At the time of his arrest, investigators alleged that Brian likely beat Anna to death in the early morning hours of January 1st and then dismembered and discarded her body while pretending to run errands for his mother. They believed he utilized a series of trash dumpsters to dispose of both Anna's body as well as evidence of his crime. And we know that police have recovered some evidence, including a bloody hacksaw and bloody cleaning wipes in trash bags with Brian's fingerprints. That's probably just a fraction of the evidence which has been recovered in this case. And we won't know more until his probable cause hearing and ultimately his trial. When police first approached Brian's home to conduct a well check, they noticed the front seat of his car was in the fully reclined position and covered in plastic. During the search of his home, a forensic crew used a chemical compound that detects bloodstains, which led police to declare that Anna was dead. With the use of luminol, they discovered a large area in the basement where he had attempted to clean up the blood. They also found a damaged and bloody knife hidden in the basement. The most shocking evidence was found on an iPad belonging to one of his sons. It included internet searches on how to dismember a body, how to dispose of a body, how long until a body begins to smell, is a hacksaw the best tool to dismember a body, can you be charged with murder without a body? Can you identify a body with broken teeth? And how quickly can I inherit from a missing spouse? As far as I know, even a gifted six-year-old isn't capable of such a diabolical search history. Anna's mother, Milanka, who still lives in Serbia, stated that Anna had sent her a text on Christmas Day pleading for her to come to visit immediately. In the message, Anna had a sense of urgency and wanted her mother to fly out the very next day. 
Anna's mother said in an interview with a local affiliate in Belgrade that her biggest regret was that she was not able to travel so quickly on such short notice. She told Fox News that, quote, I can't get myself together in one day. I'm 69 years old. I have to get my medications and a thousand other things. And now I can't forgive myself for not just letting things fall where they may and just go and whatever happens to me happens. A few days later, Anna changed her mind. She told her mother she didn't have to come out so quickly now, and it could wait until February. Police also discovered in the early morning hours of January 1st, Anna Walsh made a series of final phone calls. She called her mother at 1 a.m., which was a missed call. She also called her older sister, who was also asleep, and missed the call. Her final phone call from her phone was to her closest friend, who was also the maid of honor at her wedding. That friend was still celebrating the new year, and due to loud music, she too missed the final call from Anna's phone. Another suspicious piece of evidence is the fact that Anna's phone never left her home. It was still pinging to a local tower on January 2nd when it finally went offline for the last time. It has never been recovered. At first, after Brian was arrested, her mother had a difficult time believing that Brian could harm Anna and insisted that they loved each other. But she was aware that Brian had a darker side towards criminality. What Anna's mother, Milanka, knew, and now investigators knew, was that Brian was a career white-collar criminal. In 2018, Brian was allegedly charged with selling two fake Andy Warhol art pieces on eBay. In that criminal complaint, it was alleged that Brian took the real paintings from a friend in South Korea and offered to act as a broker and sell them for him in the United States. Instead, he sold them, collected the money, and stopped returning his friend's phone calls. He enjoyed the money from the sale so much that he decided to use the photos from the real artwork and to sell the forgeries on the same pieces again on an eBay listing. He commissioned an artist in New York who was known to make museum-quality replicas for collectors who wanted to display their artwork while keeping the originals locked up for insurance purposes. And because Brian had the original paperwork for the artwork, the artist made him the replicas. These were sold, and the victim was apparently unaware that they had been defrauded. Brian decided that selling forgeries was so lucrative that he would do it one more time. He again approached the same artists and convinced them to recreate another set of replicas with a story of wanting to display them in a second location. Once he received the second set of forgeries, he listed the prints on eBay. In the listing, he alleged that he overpaid for the artwork, paying over $250,000 for both pieces but he was willing to sell them at a significant loss for $100,000. A gallery in California purchased the pieces based on the seals and the certificate of authenticity in the photo listings from the real paintings. The buyer felt that they were authentic. Brian suggested that they pay for the items outside of the auction site, and in return, he discounted the paintings further down to $80,000 since he was avoiding all of the seller's fees. This time, Brian put the paintings in locked frames, which prevented the transporter from checking the back of the art for the seal of authenticity. Once the gallery received the artwork, they immediately checked the back and discovered these were fakes. 
the buyer contacted Brian, who suddenly wasn't so great at returning phone calls anymore. Brian pretended that he must have been scammed too and that he would return the money. And, of course, he never did. And this resulted in the fraud charges. In 2021, Brian pleaded guilty to three federal fraud charges and was placed on house arrest and monitoring while he awaited his sentencing. Due to his long history of fraud, which included scamming friends out of expensive watches and fraudulent real estate schemes, the prosecutors were asking for 36 months in prison and another three years of monitored parole. In a letter written by Brian, he stated that he was extremely sorry for his past conduct and he promised that he had changed since the crime was committed. In a letter that Malonka wrote to the judge in Brian's criminal case, she told the judge that Brian had saved her life during a medical emergency in December of 2021 when she suffered a near-fatal stroke. At the time of her stroke, she was visiting Brian and Anna in their previous home. She stated that Brian immediately called for emergency services for his mother-in-law, saving her life. The letter read in part, quote, I can safely say that without his presence, I would not have survived. He made me diabetic meals each day and took me to my doctor's appointments. Brian is a kind and loving man who always puts me at ease. He's there for me even when he's having a tough day. He always says that I'll get to see all of my grandchildren graduate from universities. Brian always brings the feeling of safety to me. These criminal charges are completely opposite of who he is as a person. I raised two daughters during war and genocide. I've seen evil firsthand. I've seen acts of kindness and courage in the face of evil as well. I tell you now that Brian's face is that of goodness. She continued gushing over him in the letter as a devoted father and husband to her daughter and grandsons, never imagining that he was capable of such great evil. But she wasn't the only person to write a letter on Brian's behalf. In a letter written by Anna to the judge, she stated, quote, Brian has been working consistently on breaking the past habits of his family. We are all looking forward to the new chapter of his life. It appears that Brian may have convinced Anna that his father and his upbringing were to blame for his criminal inclinations. Of course, Brian has always been his own best advocate. And only as a liar can be, he wrote an equally convincing letter to the judge in his pursuit of leniency. In his letter dated September 6, 2021, to Judge Douglas Woodlock, he stated in part, I quote, I am not a threat to any member of society. My only decoration and intention is to be of service to our community and beyond. I'm embarrassed that it took me this long to transform, but I'm committed to continuing my purpose of being in contribution, leading by example, and serving everyone I come in contact with. I'm extremely sorry for my past conduct. My sorrow is multifaceted. My conduct has led to others being hurt, as well as the misuse of our government's resources that could have been focused to feed the hungry or shelter the homeless. My conduct has caused and created a world that lacks deep trust and psychological safety. To fix this hurt, I've been in a training process for two years that supports all members of our community to be the best version of themselves. This training has changed my life. I've opened a new company where we train others on the foundations of trust, safety, inclusion, diversity, and collaboration. I've created a contract for myself. I'm an honest, courageous, loving leader. I release this contract to myself on a daily basis. 
I train every day on 100% integrity, 100% of the time. And then this goes on and continues with a lot more meaningless words, phrases, and bullshit about his promise that he trains daily to maintain integrity. He even stated that he believes that societal crime occurs from an incremental breakdown of integrity. So he's gone from a life of crime to an integrity guru. So I guess he forgot all about those integrity manifestations, though, when he was murdering his wife for her money and then lying to the police about his alibi. Following Brian's arrest, a friend of Anna's named Pamela Barty stated, quote, I was praying for the best but preparing for the worst. Since day one, when I saw her missing social media posts and friends were posting, I just had this horrible gut feeling and I prayed I was wrong. I prayed that it wasn't the case, and here we are now finding out a few hours ago there's a murder charge. That's a heavy, heavy thing. I think that the truth is a real double-edged sword. It's painful to know, but it's necessary. I think those kids deserve to know what happened to their mother, no matter what, and her family and her friends. In another interview given to CNN, Pamela also stated that Anna was a, quote, absolute radiant spirit, the kind of person that when you walk into a room, you just feel her energy. She is a brilliant businesswoman and what I like to call a super mom. She has been a powerful woman and just a businesswoman as long as I've known her. She never talked about anything personal. She never talked about pain. She never really talked about her husband as much. It was all about her kids and her business and elevation and how she could help other people. Personally, I never saw any indication of any issues at home. As we hinted earlier in this episode, this wasn't Brian's first rush with the law. His past includes an unsuccessful fight over his father's estate, allegations of falsifying a will, and other federal fraud charges. Brian was enraged when his father dared to disinherit him. So, of course, Brian objected to his father's will in November of 2019, arguing he was one of the only two legal heirs. He also claimed that while he and his father were estranged for over a decade, they had reconnected in 2015 and began speaking regularly in 2016. Of course, none of this was true. In their respective declarations, Dr. Welsh's nephew and close friends confirmed that Brian remained estranged from his father up until the time of his death. Dr. Welsh, who headed up the neurology division in Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, bequeathed Brian his, quote, best wishes, end quote, nothing else. As soon as Brian learned of his father's passing, he tried to immediately sell all of his property, including a piece of property he co-owned with one of his former partners. Of course, this started off a series of litigation actions. Brian and Dr. Walsh's estrangement occurred for many reasons. However, the final nail in the coffin appears to be due to the real estate dispute 15 years earlier. Brian convinced his father to lend him $500,000 on a property he intended to renovate and sell for over a million dollars, which he did. The only problem was he refused to pay his father back or split the profits as previously agreed. Instead, Brian pocketed the million dollars and immediately ceased contact with his father. The feeling was mutual. In a declaration by his father's former romantic partner, Dr. Pescatori, he stated, quote, Brian and Tom's estrangement had everything to do with money. 
Brian stole money from Tom and swindled him out of almost $1 million. Brian basically did to his father what he was accused of doing in Boston. The estrangement had nothing to do with Tom's, quote, alternative lifestyle, but rather all to do with Brian being a diagnosed sociopath who could never stay in one school as a child. Now, we don't know if this allegation is true and if Brian was ever diagnosed as a sociopath, but some of the symptoms and characteristics of a sociopath seem to fit. A sociopath is defined as an adult who has a personality disorder marked by an antisocial behavior. According to mentalhealth.gov, it states, quote, the cause of antisocial personality disorder is unknown. Genetic factors and environmental factors, such as child abuse, are believed to contribute to the development of this condition. People with an antisocial or alcoholic parent are at increased risk, end quote. The symptoms of a sociopath include a lack of empathy and dishonest behavior, which includes someone who breaks rules and laws, behaves aggressively and or impulsively, and someone who uses manipulation, deceit, and controlling behavior. That pretty much sums up Brian Walsh's criminal record and behavior. In his declaration, Dr. Pascatori told the judge about a time when Brian traveled with him and his father to China and tried to smuggle antiquities out of the country. When he was confronted by the guards, he grabbed a stanchion, which I'm not going to lie, I had to look up what a stanchion is. It's something that you would see anywhere in a retail store that blocks barriers for people in a line. And he took the stanchion, allegedly attempting to kill four guards who were trying to arrest him for his crime. Dr. Pescatori ended his declaration by stating that Brian was an angry and violent sociopath. It appears that Brian's family and former friends agree with this assessment. In their own declarations, they confirmed that Brian was an angry and dishonest person who had swindled money from friends as well as his own father. Dr. Welsh's nephew and heir, Andrew Welsh, in a declaration stated, quote, My uncle's last will and testament confirms what he had told many people over the years that he did not want his son Brian to inherit anything from his estate. He had a severe falling out with his son. Brian ran off with a significant amount of money. He had almost zero contact with Brian R. Welsh over the last 10 plus years. Court records showed that Dr. Welsh had disinherited Brian, and according to affidavits filed in the legal dispute over his father's will, one affidavit stated, Brian is not a trustworthy person, and his affidavit is based on lies and misrepresentations. This same person also stated that Brian was diagnosed as a sociopath and had been a long-term patient at a psychiatric hospital in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. It appears that Dr. Welsh's longtime ex-partner, Dr. Pescatori, was enraged that Brian would try to subvert his father's wishes and embezzle from his death in the way he embezzled from him in life. However, Brian wasn't going down without a fight. His past and present actions have shown that when money is at stake, there is no bottom to his low. In Brian's own declaration, he tried to offer his son as an alternative heir to the estate, an inheritance that Brian would control. He also lied about his father's mental faculties or his ability to enter into a contract or even sign a will. 
In his own declaration, he tried to disparage his father's sexuality by referring to the fact that he felt his father left him and his mother when he was a young child due to his, quote, alternative lifestyle, unquote. It's not easy for a parent to cut off contact with an adult child. Although often when a child is in the throes of addiction, it's usually recommended to take a strict tough love approach and cut off contact until the child is willing to accept help. But with Brian, that wasn't the case. Brian's father chose to cut off all contact with Brian due to likely a combination of family dynamics and personal differences stemming from the financial abuse and misuse of his father's generosity. That can only be an excruciating and painful decision for a parent to make, one we know his mother wasn't willing to make. Now remember that definition of a sociopath? Remember whenever it said it can be due to a combination of social and environmental factors? Here is something we know about Brian's mother. We know that she lied to the police when she falsely corroborated his story that Anna left at 4.30 for a rideshare. We know she falsely stated she personally saw Anna leave. We also know that Anna made a social media post where she remarked on the amazing combination of genetics and recessive genes. Despite her and Brian both having brown hair and her youngest son born with blonde hair, we know from Anna's family members that Brian's mother disliked Anna. She disliked everything about her and even mentioned in a letter to a judge that she didn't get along well with Brian's wife and needed her son to stay out of jail to tend to her needs. We also know that she was convinced that two of Brian's children weren't his and demanded a DNA test for his youngest two sons. And despite the test results showing Brian as the father, his mother still disbelieved the test results. In a champagne box the couple opened and shared with a friend on New Year's Eve, there was a note written inside from Anna. It stated, quote, Wow, 2022, what a year. And yet, we're still here and together. Let's make 2023 the best one yet. We are the authors of our lives. Courage, love, perseverance, compassion, and joy. Love, Anna. It's clear that Anna never saw her death coming. In her final hours of life, she never could have predicted her violent and untimely death. While Anna was making plans for a bright future, her husband was making plans to end her life. Despite the overwhelming amount of evidence against Brian, he has pleaded not guilty to his wife's murder. His trial will likely be scheduled for fall of 2023. As always, he enjoys the presumption of innocence until a formal conviction. We would love to hear your thoughts on this case, so reach out to us on our socials. And before we jump off here, we have some special shout-outs this week. This week, we have Kim, Marissa, Demiris, Brooke M., and Amanda. They are Crime Salad's new Patreons, so welcome and enjoy the ad-free listens. And don't cringe too hard at the early episodes where Ricky and I first started this amazing project. But thank you so much for your continued support and listening to Crime Salad. We will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>